podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Monday, the 10th of May, and we're brought to you by EPLindex.com, an association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, which allows you to go online, change your location, can give you access to American Netflix, can allow you to use Now TV outside the UK, also keeps your data safe online, which is very, very important. Check out LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out HomeofHopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks. Nine games over the weekend. Lots of excitement. Some heartbreak. We'll jump straight in. Friday night, Leicester 2, Newcastle 4. Newcastle rampant rampant 4-0 up after 73 minutes joe willock on 22 his fifth goal in 11 games since joining newcastle on loan from arsenal would make you wonder as i said before why is he not at arsenal can arsenal really afford to have him on loan considering the dross they're playing in midfield on a regular basis you'd really have to question why joe willock is not part of the you know, the squad at least at Arsenal, he's 21 years of age. He's a quality player. He's proving himself now in the Premier League. And Arsenal don't want anything to do with him. Allegedly, he'll be available for sale in the summer. Whoever gets him will get a good player. Paul Dummett made it two on 34, a good header. Before Callum Wilson scored the, the third and fourth in the second half. Good front play by Wilson. He was good all game held the ball up, linked the play, brought others into the game, really gave Leicester a tough time. Now, Leicester suffered a blow before the game. Johnny Evans was meant to play, couldn't play, and because Brendan Rodgers doesn't have any other centre-backs at the moment, he was forced to play Tim Castanier as, as a wing-back. Uh, or, sorry, as a centre-back rather than a wing-back. Castanier is a wing-back because he's not a good defensive full-back. So to play him in a back three, was suicidal by Brendan Rodgers. Wes Fafana had probably his poorest game of the season. Kagala Suunchu uh, struggled as well. I wouldn't put this entire performance down to the lack of Evans, though. I think Newcastle just played very, very well. Were just very clever in how they attacked. And by using Willock and Almiron as runners from midfield, by playing Murphy and Ritchie as wing-backs, even though this looked like 5-3-2, it was a much more attacking formation than that from Newcastle. They had three centre-backs and a holding midfielder, and everybody else was attacking on the counter. A very, very good performance from Newcastle. Leicester did pull two goals back. Mark Albrighton, great finish on 80, 
and Kelechi Iheanacho continuing his great run of form on 87, but it was too little too late. Very disappointing result for Leicester, who now have to be a little bit concerned about their top four status. They are now fourth. They do remain five points clear of West Ham and six clear of Liverpool. But Liverpool have a game in hand and Liverpool have a much easier run-in. West Ham also have a much easier run-in. Leicester's run-in is Manchester United away tomorrow night. Then they have Chelsea in the FA Cup on Saturday. So you'd have to wonder how much of his first 11 is Brendan Rodgers going to risk against United. Then they get Chelsea away in the league on the Tuesday after the cup final. And then it's Tottenham at home on the final day of the season. And as bad as Tottenham are, there's still an awful lot of quality in that team. And you wouldn't put it past them to go and beat Leicester or at least get a draw. So Leicester really have to be sweating over their top four position right now. This was the game for them to win and give themselves a nice cushion. They failed to do it. And they've opened the door back up now for Liverpool. Potentially West Ham, but they didn't do themselves any favours over the weekend. Into Saturday, Leeds 3, Tottenham 1. Tottenham... Harry Kane is, is an issue for Tottenham right now. I know he had a goal disallowed, but his overall performance in this game was very, very poor. Whether it's a lack of fitness, which is very possible. He was rushed back from an injury. He never really had time to recover from it, but he, he, he doesn't look like he's playing anywhere close to full capacity. Leeds were excellent, though. Stuart Dallas put them one up on 13. Uh, Youngman Son made it 1-1 with a very, very well-taken goal. After good work from Delhi Ali on 25. Bamford made it 2-1 just before half-time. Proper number nine's goal. And then Rodrigo made it 3-1 on 84. After Rafinha, who had not been expected to play, was fit enough to make the bench, came on and made a big impact setting up the third goal. Leeds, very, very good value for their win. Spurs did have that goal disallowed by Kane, which was you know borderline offside. But... You have to say, Leeds were just the better team. Leeds deserved this victory. And when they play like that, they're just a nightmare to play against. Robin Cox stepped into midfield to play instead of Calvin Phillips. And when when they were without Phillips early in the season, the drop-off was incredible. Now that they have Robin Cox and Struijk and Lorente can all play in that position... It just gives them more quality there. It gives them a solid replacement. They don't have that massive drop-off. They don't miss Phillips a massive amount. You still would notice he's not on the pitch. They're still a little less aggressive without him. But I thought the Lorente struyach three-man triangle just worked very, very well. There were times when Koch dropped into centre-back and one of the centre-backs stepped out into that holding midfield position, depending on where the ball was. Honestly, there's no reason for Liam Cooper to come back into this team. Those three are better centre-backs than he is. And he hasn't played particularly well this season. He has been found out a little bit at the higher the higher level. Leeds defence, 
for most of the season was quite poor until Lorient and Cock got fit. I don't think Ailing's had a great season. Now, Leeds fans would say he has, but I think they're confusing the team season to the individual season. Stuart Dallas has had a fantastic season, and I saw a graphic the other day. He has started in 11 different positions for Leeds this season, depending on formation. That's incredible. I mean, that level of versatility, the only positions he hasn't really played are centre-back and goalkeeper. He's played both full-back spots. He's played as the six. He's played as one of a double pivot. He's played right right side midfield, right wing, left wing, left side midfield as a, an attacking midfielder. He's just been everywhere. He's played as a false nine for a little while in one game. He's just been everywhere. Um, so credit to him. I mean, gets a goal in this game, works incredibly hard. Just a very, very good performance. And leads great value for the win. Great value for the win. Top performance. Um, Leeds are now 10th. Two points clear of Villa, but Villa do have that game in hand. They will end the season with Burnley away, Southampton away, and West Brom at home. So there's a really good chance there for them to solidify themselves in the top half. They're three winnable games. Three very winnable games. Now, Dice Ball could be something that stumps them a little bit. We'll see that up next. Burnley may well need a result just to secure their safety in the division. But those are three winnable games for Leeds. As for Tottenham, I mean, seventh, a point ahead of Everton, but Everton have a game in hand. Four points clear of Arsenal. They finished the season with Wolves at home, Villa at home, and Leicester away. They should win the next two, but then Villa are pretty decent away from home. Wolves are coming off a win. They might have some confidence. And then Leicester, the final day of the season, they're going to have a lot to play for. Tottenham may still be playing for European football on the day, though. And it may be the difference of being able to keep Harry Kane and not keep Harry Kane. So. You'll have to wait and see. I just realised I forgot to mention that Newcastle are safe. They've confirmed their spot in the Premier League for next season. And they will round out the season with City at home, Sheffield United at home and Fulham away. No pressure on them. I think there's two winnable games there, Sheffield United and Fulham. And if Steve Bruce can get those get those wins... I mean, will he get a new deal? He shouldn't. He shouldn't get a new deal. He shouldn't be the the Newcastle manager next season. But he has accomplished what he set out to do. He has kept them up. He's done it with three games to go. In all likelihood, they'll win at least one, if not two, of those final three games. And he's going to say, well, we were comfortable. It won't be the truth, but that's what he'll say. Oh, we were comfortable because they'll finish, you know, 13, 14 points clear of the relegation spots. They found some form at the right time, is what happened. Newcastle found form at just the right time. Win over Leicester, draw with Liverpool, win over West Ham, win over uh, Burnley, draw with Tottenham. It just it came together at the right time for Newcastle. And credit to, to Bruce for that. It, you know, he does need some credit. He, he's not had a good season, 
his team did not play well, but he's he's kept them up, and that's all that you really can ask for. Um, Sheffield United nil, Crystal Palace two. Christian Benteke after two minutes deflected shot beat Aaron Ramsdale. Eberechi Ezi after eighty eight minutes a deflected shot beat Aaron Ramsdale. The possession in this game was very even. Palace had 51%, Sheffield United had 49%. Palace had 28 shots in this game, 8 on target. Sheffield United had 7, none on target, which will tell you how one-sided this game was. Sheffield United did nothing with the ball when they had it. Every time Palace got the ball, they were looking to attack. It was a very un-Hodgson-esque performance. Ebrichi Ezi was by far the best player on the pitch. Head and shoulders above absolutely everybody. Um, Well-deserving of his goal. Well-deserving of man of the match. I thought he played excellently. Sheffield United just played like a group of guys who know they're going down, and that's fine. Sander Berger came back into the team. That's a big plus for them. At least it gets him fit. He'll get a couple of matches in before the end of the season, and then they'll... In all likelihood, he'll be sold because I, I don't think he's going to want to go play in the championship. But one player who is going to play in the championship for them is Rian Brewster. Now, Ollie McBurney is currently out injured. Billy Sharp is currently out injured. And Lise Mousset is currently out injured. And yet, Brewster doesn't get a start. He starts off the bench while Ollie Burke, who's been largely dreadful all season, and David McGoldrick, who's a good player, a hard-working player, a decent all-rounder, but not a goal scorer, starts up front. Brewster's on the bench, so you're thinking, okay, well, at some point they'll bring him on. And then they go 1-0 down after two minutes. You're thinking, right, they're going to bring him on around half-time, maybe 60, and try and chase the game. And they didn't. They just left Rian Brewster sitting on the be- on the bench. They brought on John Lundstrom in midfield for Sander Berger. That's absolutely fine. They brought on Daniel Jebison, who is a, a young player, 17 years of age. He's a forward. They brought him on. And they didn't bring on Brewster. They didn't bring on the 20 million plus pound striker they have sitting on the bench. They brought in a 17-year-old. And Ben Osborne came on, um, I think, for Keen Bryan. Isn't it kind of moving from a, a back three to a, a back four and, and putting more bodies in midfield? But it struck me watching this that Rian Brewster's career is absolutely in the toilet right now. Like, how is he not getting on ahead of a 17-year-old? How has he not been brought on when you need a goal? I just I don't understand what's gone wrong for him and for that club this season. I understand they've had some injuries, but they haven't had anywhere close to the injuries of other th- of other teams. Yes, they lost Jack O'Connell. Yes, they lost Sander Berger, but that's that's not an acceptable reason to just collapse the way you have. They're nailed to the bottom of the table. They've now lost 28 games this season. They have three left. The record for most defeats in a season is 29. 
They have Everton away next, then Newcastle away, and then Burnley at home. And it's hard to see them winning any of those games. They just lose and they lose and they lose and they lose. And they don't put up much of a fight most of the time. Like, they put up very little fight against Palace at home at the weekend. They got swept aside by Spurs. Swept aside by Arsenal. They gave Wolves a tough time, but Wolves were awful. Leeds was the one game outside of the the win over Brighton where they actually turned up and showed a bit of fight. That's two games in six weeks. It's unacceptable. Going down with a whimper and deserving to go down. And I don't know what happens to Ian Brewster now. I don't know that he's going to have the confidence to perform next season after how he's been treated this season. Now, it'll all depend on who comes in as manager. And maybe they have a chat with him and get him back on board. But if I was him, I'd be checked out by now. I genuinely would be. Palace, 13th in the league. Hodgie's sweet spot. 41 points. Four games left. Likes to get the 33 to 35. So, you know, well, 33 to, sorry, 43 to 47. The 45-point mark is about Hodgie's sweet spot. They've got Southampton coming up tomorrow. Then they've got Villa at home, then Arsenal at home, then Liverpool away. I think you you could expect them to maybe take, you know, between two and four points. So I think Hodgie will get exactly what he set out to get at the start of the season, and he'll be very, very happy with that. Um, Moving on then. We had Manchester City 1, Chelsea 2. City went 1-0 up, Raheem Sterling tapping home after good work from Gabby Jesus and an, an uncontrolled first touch from uh, Sergio Aguero. Chelsea then capitulated for about three minutes and were just dreadful, and City got a penalty, which Aguero stepped up to take and for some reason decided to try a Penenka. Now, this is one of the last games Sergio Aguero is going to play for Manchester City. You would think he'd be trying to get every goal he can. This was an absolute shocker of a penalty. And if that goal goes in, I think this is game over. Mendy half dives and still has time to pick himself up and stop the ball very easily. Uh, Hakim Ziyech made it at 1-1 on the 63rd minute. Nice left-footed goal after a bit of a scramble in the box. And then Marcus Alonso, in added time, made a 2-1 to Chelsea. So, that is now back-to-back wins over City for Chelsea, ahead of the Champions League final. City, admittedly, not at full strength. A bizarre team selection, in some ways, from Pep. Tried to be a little, excuse me, a little bit too clever, I felt. Now, Chelsea weren't full strength either. Didn't have Mason Mount, didn't have Kai Havertz, didn't have Kurt Zuma, didn't have Ben Chilwell. So, you know, Jorginho, you could probably argue, could be a starter either. Um, So neither team really at full strength, but City would have had this game dead and buried if Aguero just does what Aguero normally does from a penalty. That gave Chelsea 
an opportunity to come back into the game. And they took it. Credit to them. I did think in the second half, Chelsea were the better team. But City should have had, had it dead and buried at half time. Uh, City still looking for that win to confirm themselves as champions. They have Newcastle next. That's away. Then they go to Brighton and then they have Everton at home. They only need one win or they need United to, to drop points. It's done. It's wrapped. But it should have been wrapped a while ago. They've looked... They've looked distinctly average for a while now. They played well against PSG. They weren't great against Palace. They weren't great in the cup final. They weren't great against Villa. They lost to Chelsea in the um, FA Cup semi-final. Leeds beat them. They weren't particularly good in either leg against Dortmund. They got very, very lucky with the refereeing decision in the first leg. They haven't looked like the same team for a while now. And that's got to be a bit of a concern for Pep with that game coming up on the 29th of May, which, by the way, the Champions League final looks like it will be played at Wembley. So I'm assuming one of the playoff games is getting moved somewhere else. But it's the right decision to play it at Wembley. And hopefully that will also mean that maybe a few more fans can go rather than the pathetic 9,000 they were going to allow among a 25,000 person attendance. So we're going to allow 9,000 fans, which just goes to show that UEFA don't care about fans. But hopefully more fans will get to go, um, given it's at Wembley. It's a bigger stadium, I think, than the Ataturk. So you'll hope so. Um, final game then on Saturday, Liverpool 2, Southampton 0. A good run-of-the-mill performance of Liverpool. Southampton had some chances. Alison Becker had to be at his best to deny them a couple of times. But Sadio Mane made it 1-0 on um, 31 after a great cross from Mo Salah. Nice header from Mane at the back post. And then Thiago Alcantara, who played very well, made it 2 on 90. Bobby Firmino on as a sub. Great pressing, wins the ball back, feeds Thiago. Now, Alex Oxley-Chamberlain will not get an assist. He will not get credit for this. But Ox's run off ball occupied Jack Stevens, which meant he couldn't come across and close. So Thiago could stand up Vestergaard and then just bend the ball around him into the bottom corner, use him as a disguise. Very, very good goal. A well-deserved three points for Liverpool. They were the better team. There's just no argument about that. They missed a couple of good chances. Diogo Jota could have had two goals. He's not playing with any confidence at the moment. Mane could have had another. Salah could have had one. Fraser Forster made some good saves as well for them, as Becker did for Liverpool. But a well-deserved win for Liverpool. That's now four wins in the last six. It should be six in a row. It should be six in a row. Liverpool should have won their last six games. They should have beaten Leeds. As good as Leeds were in that second half, Liverpool should have had the game put to bed by half-time. They'd missed three or four great chances. They should have been 5-0 up against Newcastle. Not that they could have scored five. They should have scored five. That's how many chances they had in that first half against Newcastle. Golden opportunities. Just wasted. Now, it was nice to see them score two goals in a game. But if you consider that they threw away four points against Leeds and against Newcastle. If they had those four points, they would be on 61 points. With a game in hand. Two points behind Leicester with that game in hand. 
they could afford to lose that game in hand, knowing that they have an easier three-game run than Leicester do, and they could overhaul them. The goal difference would be equal if they hadn't thrown away those late goals as well. So Liverpool are six points back, four games left, game in hand on Leicester. That's against Manchester United on Thursday. Now, United play Leicester on Tuesday. It's going to be interesting to see just how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer manages his squad. Really is going to be interesting to see. Then Liverpool go to West Brom, already relegated. Then they go to Burnley. They generally do very well at Burnley. And then Crystal Palace on the final day. Those are three games they should win. The United game is very, very difficult. It sounds like Ozan Kabak is going to miss out through injury. That's a big blow. Liverpool went with Nat Phillips and Reese Williams. And God bless them as well. As hard as they tried, they're clearly so far below the level required. I mean, these are championship-level defenders been catapulted into Premier League games. They try their best. They do what they can. And when the game's in front of them, they're generally fine. The problem is that because Liverpool play with such a high line, the game is often behind them. And neither of them can run. They've, they're so slow. So that's an issue for Liverpool. If, if United are anything close to full strength, you would have to fancy United to win that game. And that leaves Liverpool needing to win their last three, which would put them on 66 points. And you'd have to hope then that Leicester don't take any more than three. And even then it comes down to goal difference. Liverpool have, Liverpool have sabotaged themselves multiple times this season. Multiple times. Um, into Sunday then, Wolves 2, Brighton 1. Brighton 1 nil up from Lewis Dunkheader on 13. Then Dunk stupidly got himself sent off on 53, needlessly tugging back Fabio Silva, who was going through on goal. Look, let him go through on goal. Back your goalkeeper. Back your goalkeeper. Don't get yourself sent off on 53 for something that's 35 yards from goal. Lewis Dunk cost his team this game. Adama Traore made it 1-1 on 76. Nice bit of work. Good layoff from Fabio Silva, actually. And Adama slots home from the edge of the box. Morgan Gibbs-White should have won it. After Adama goes through, beats the goalkeeper, rolls it back to him. Defenders are coming back. Keeper's half-back in position. But it's a great opportunity. He slices it over the bar. But in the 90th minute, Gibbs-White, first shot gets blocked, drops back to his feet, and he makes no mistake, a really nice finish past Sanchez to give Wolves a 2-1 win. A win you would have to say they did deserve. Uh, Neil Mope got himself sent off after the final whistle for mouthing off at the referee. But all things considered, Wolves deserving of the win. Brighton masters of their own demise. I mean, Lewis Dunk, brainless, absolutely brainless decision to do that from there. The, having put his team one up to then do that, they're just an idiot. Um, Brighton are 15. 10 points clear of Fulham. Still technically not safe, but let's be fair, they're going to be fine. Um, 
they've got West Ham at home next, then Man City at home, and then Arsenal away. So they Brighton have put themselves in a position where they need to rely on Fulham to lose games because it's hard to see where Brighton are going to get any more points this season. Brighton would only have themselves to blame if the worst happened and they went down. They've only won eight games all season. That is the fourth worst in the league after the three teams in the bottom three who've all won five. It's worse than Burnley. It's worse than Southampton. It is unacceptable, really. They've drawn 13 games, which is the most in the league because they refused to buy a striker in the summer and continue to play empty shirts everywhere. Um, but yeah, they'll be all right. Fulham, Fulham aren't going to win their last four games. Um, Wolves, 12th, disappointing. Not where they would have wanted to be, but they just want this season to be over. They've got Tottenham and Everton away, then United at home. Just get through the three games, get into the summer, rest, recuperate, and start over. Hopefully, there'll be some money for Nuno to spend. He needs to spend it at centre-back. He badly needs to buy some centre-backs. Um, but Wolves just need this season to end. Nothing else really matters for them. Uh, Manchester United 3, Aston Villa 1. Villa go 1-up. Bertrand Traore making Victor Lindelof look a little bit bad, but a great finish from a, a tight angle on his left foot. You could argue the goalkeeper probably should have got his angles a bit better and, and done better with the shot. But it was a very, very good goal. United were poor in the first half. But in the second half, they really did turn it on. Um, soft penalty, but in all likelihood, a penalty given to Paul Pogba, which Bruno Fernandes stepped up and scored. 27 goals for Bruno Fernandes this season. 17 assists. He is a machine, an absolute machine. And people will say, oh, but he's a, you know, he's a penalty merchant or he's a stat patter or he's this and he's that. Take the penalties out. Admittedly, 13 penalties this season is, is staggering. It's, it's a staggering amount of penalties. He'd still have 14 goals and 17 assists. So, like, let's be fair about this. 14 goals and 17 assists is an incredible return from a midfielder. When Frank Lampard scored 27 goals back in 09-10, nobody mentioned the fact that 11 of them were penalties. So I think you just have to give credit where it's due. Bruno has been phenomenal. And if he were to win Player of the Year, I don't think you can really make a huge argument against it. Like, I would suggest... Ilke Gundogan should be player of the year. I think Kevin De Bruyne has been brilliant. I saw somebody try and claim that De Bruyne hasn't been won, has been averaged by his standards. Utter nonsense. Absolute trash. Absolute trash. Kevin De Bruyne has been brilliant this season. At the start of the season, when his team were bang average, he was carrying them. Then he had a little bit of an injury, came back and was brilliant. He's had a bit of a dip recently, as all City's players have. He hasn't been nominated for City's Player of the Year, but who cares? Like, Riyad Mahrez was nominated. Riyad Mahrez hasn't been one of City's five best players this season. And he's in, in the three-man shortlist. So, you wouldn't pay too much attention. But Bruno could well win it. And 
People say that the best ability is availability. I think that's very fair. And I think when we look at players like Bruno and like a lot of attackers, you want to judge them on two things. Availability and productivity. So how often can they play and what do they do when they play? I'm just going to give you Bruno's last four seasons. 17-18, plays 56 games, 16 goals and 20 assists. 18-19, he plays 53 games, 32 goals and 18 assists. Last season, in 50 games, 27 goals and 22 assists. And this season, in 54 games so far, he has 27 goals and 17 assists. That's 92 goals and 77 assists in 213 games across almost four seasons. That is incredible consistency. Incredible productivity. And he's always available. I think he's had one injury. Only had a cold once and he missed a game. But in his career, he's had one injury. He suffered it since joining United. He's just always available. And he always makes a difference, one way or another. Mason Greenwood made a 2-1 on 56. If you want to see an example of bad defending, just watch what Tyron Mings does. Just watch Tyron Mings' attempts to defend Mason Greenwood. He looks like an amateur. He looks like Sunday League football. You wouldn't see it. Absolutely shocking. Gets far too close and then commits to going to one side. And the one side he goes to is Greenwood's would, would mean Greenwood turning on his left shoulder and shooting off his weaker right foot. He commits himself and allows Greenwood to just roll him, take a touch, and shoot with his left foot with nobody challenging the shot. Uh, Edinson Cavani made it 3-1 on 87. A good cross from Marcus Rashford. Good run and and uh, flicked header from Cavani. United, good value for the win, in truth. Um, Villa had a couple of penalty shouts. There was a handball shout against Greenwood. Would have been harsh. I will say the late one, 89th minute, Ollie Watkins goes through. Dean Henderson comes out. Watkins goes down and gets a second yellow card and gets sent off. The replays do show there is contact on his knee from Dean Henderson. That one's a little bit harsh. It really is a little bit harsh. Um, United are second, 70 points, guaranteed top four. So they'll be happy with that. Um, they have obviously, Liverpool, they've got Leicester, excuse me, Leicester next, then Liverpool. Then they've got Fulham at home. So three home games in a row coming up for them to finish out the season. Uh, then Wolves away final day. Um, favorable running because you're at home. Two difficult games up next, but a favorable running nonetheless. And then they have Villarreal in the Europa League final on the 26th in Gdansk. Harry Maguire went off injured in this game. And that's obviously a big blow. And he apparently got on the team bus with his foot in one of those protective boots. So we'll have to wait and see. I mean, there's no guarantee he's back by the end of the season. Depending on what the injury is, is that his Euros gone? 
which would be a big blow for England when you consider Jordan Henderson is a bit of a doubt for the Euros. Declan Rice is a doubt for the Euros. If you've got three your starters coming in having not played in a while, that's not ideal at all. Um, Harry Kane's got an injury too, so you, you just you'd have to wonder how badly affected England are going to be by the by the run in here. Um, West Ham nil, Everton won at the David Moyes Derby, and as I said. On Friday, West Ham just much better away from home than they are at home. Now, I believe I picked West Ham to win this game, but Everton fully deserved the, the win. West Ham played some lovely football. I thought Pablo Fernals played really well and created a couple of excellent chances that his teammates spurned. Um, he set up one for uh, Sufal, who hit the post. He set up Ben Rama for a great header that really should have scored. The lack of a defensive midfielder in that West Ham team, the lack of Declan Rice, was so telling. They struggled to really get a foothold in the midfield. And they had the majority of the possession, but they couldn't really dominate the territory. They couldn't really pin Everton back the way they can when Declan Rice plays, because he will stay and hold the midfield and allow Suchek to push on and join the front four, lets the fullbacks get forward as well. And West Ham have become quite good at pinning teams back. They weren't able to pin Everton back, and Everton just hammered them on the counter-attack. Scored one, should have probably scored three. Richarlison had two good chances that I thought he should have scored. But Dominic Calvert-Lewin was comfortably the best player on the pitch. And I would say this is the best performance I've seen from Calvert-Lewin all season. He scores the goal, clever movement, goes to an offside position, draws Craig Dawson to him. Dawson then gets about two yards behind the rest of the defensive line. Calvert-Lewin gets back onside and then angles his run around Dawson, runs on to a very, very good through ball from, I believe it was Ben Godfrey from right back. And... In a one-on-one -on -one and a really good finish from a good from well a, a decent angle. He worked the angle quite well. Um, his run was really really good. Go to YouTube and find the highlights of this game and just watch the movement before the goal. Watch how he drifts offside. Dawson drops to him, gets himself back onside, and then angles the run from from left to right, moving across into the channel. Godfrey slips the ball through. Really good pass. But Calvert-Lewin is then on to it with loads of space. No defenders anywhere near him. And he doesn't rush towards the centre of the goal. He keeps the angle so he can shoot across the goalkeeper. It's a great finish. And his all-round play this weekend was just brilliant. He worked incredibly hard. He won everything in the air. Non-stop harrying of the centre-backs. His hold-up play, his link-up play, everything was excellent. His passing was really, really good. Really, really good. Um, one pass to Seamus Coleman. Coleman should have hit it first time. It was perfectly weighted, perfectly timed. If Coleman hits it first time, he scores. Everton should have won this game more comfortably. They were the better team. It's a big, big win for them. And it's so strange. The contrast between Everton at home and Everton away. 
And I'd understand that if there was fans, but there's not. At home, they've won five, drawn four, and lost eight. Away from home, they've won 11. They've won 11 and drawn three. They've only lost three times away from home. They've scored the same number of goals away from home as they have at home, but they haven't conceded. They've only conceded 15 goals away from home all season. If they'd replicated their away form at home this season, they would have 22 wins and six draws. They would have 72 points and they'd be second in the league with the best goal difference behind, sorry, the best defensive record behind Manchester City. But the home form has let them down so badly this year. And unfortunately for Everton, they've got two home games left. They play Sheffield United next. They have to win that game. There's just no excuse. Sorry, I'm wrong. They've got Aston Villa away next. I think they win that game as well. Villa beat them at home. I think they'll win away. Then they get Sheffield United at home. Again, that's a must win. They have to win that game. That should be six points. Then they get Wolves at home. That's the type of game they've been messing up this season. You look at some of their home results. You know, drew a Crystal Palace. Lost to Burnley. Lost to Fulham. Lost to Newcastle. Then they go away to places and they just... They're brilliant. (laughs) So strange. And then uh, final day of the season for Everton. They have Manchester City away, which everything will be over and done with. City could well be on the beach. So, well, on the beach, they'll have a Champions League final to prepare for, but they may well take their eye off that one. So it's an opportunity for Everton to rack up some points. They have an opportunity here to still qualify for a European spot. Um, They're eighth, 55 points, but they're only three points behind West Ham with one game played less. They're two points behind Liverpool with the same amount of games. They're a point behind Spurs with a game played less. With a game in hand, obviously. So, Champions League's out of the picture, but Europa League's very much a possibility. Very, very much a possibility. West Ham have now lost three of five. Now, they have a favourable run-in, but two of the games are away. They've got Brighton away next. Then they go to West Brom, who are already relegated. And then it is Southampton at home final day. They should win all three. But in this kind of form, I wouldn't bet. I wouldn't bet on them. I, I really wouldn't. Jesse Lingard's gone cold at the wrong time of season. Antonio's not fully fit, but he ha- has to play because they rely so much on him. No Declan Rice. Moyes' manager of the year regardless. I think Bielsa is the only one that can really, there can be an argument for him. If they gave it to Bielsa, I wouldn't complain. I think Moyes would be hard done by, but Bielsa is Bielsa, so I'd always be in favour of that. Um, but there's a, there is a possibility that they just, they do have a bit of a collapse now. Um, this was their chance to close that gap on, on Leicester. They'd won this game They'd been two points behind Leicester, three games left, and a much easier three games than Leicester. Now they're very much reliant on Leicester to absolutely bottle this. 
even if they win all three, they would be relying on Leicester to only take three points as a maximum. So, I mean, that's possible. It's absolutely possible, but it was such a good opportunity for West Ham this weekend, and they threw it away. It's it's unfortunate they didn't turn up, didn't play well. Um, final game of the weekend then. Arsenal 3, West Brom 1. West Brom relegated with this result, but it must be said, Mateus Pereira does not deserve and should not go to the championship. He is far, far too good. He led a one-man crusade in this game to try and keep West Brom up. Unfortunately, he was just outmatched. Emil Smith-Rowe made it 1-0. Really good work down the left. Willian to Saka. Good cross. Saka playing left back in this game because Kieran Tierney was rested. Smith-Rowe, really nice goal. Left-footed volley as the ball came towards him from his left. Quite a difficult technique. Great control and, and scores. Um, Nicolas Pepe made a 2 on 35, cutting in from the right wing. A good shot into the far top corner. Sam Johnson got his hand to it. I don't know if he could have saved it. He got his hand to it. Maybe he could have got more on it. But credit to Pepe is a really, really good goal. And then Willian with his first goal for Arsenal, a free kick in the 90th minute from about 25 yards out. Really good free kick. Why the wall was positioned where it was, I'm not sure. Willian didn't have to go over or around the wall. He had basically a free shot on the top corner and Sam Johnston was nowhere to be seen. Um, Arsenal, full value for the win. Really good value for the win. Pereira had made a 2-1 on 67, running from around the halfway line um, before shooting from about 20 yards out into the bottom corner. He'd had a couple of good opportunities. They weren't good opportunities. He created a couple of opportunities for himself. Um, and he'd had a couple of decent long-range shots. One from 25 yards that almost almost found the top corner would have been a goal of the season contender. A smart Premier League club picks him up this summer because he is far, far too good to go back to the championship. Now, West Brom may well put a big price tag in his head. They may well look at what Norwich did last year with Emi Buendia and say, right, 40 million and he can go. Otherwise, we're going to keep him. But I'd love to see him at Leeds. I think him and Rafinha at Leeds together would be sensational. I think there's a couple. I think he could play for pretty much anybody. If not as a starter, he'd be a really good squad player for for the likes of Liverpool, for Manchester United. He can play in multiple positions. Um, I think he'd be a good starter for Spurs. Off the right, because I wouldn't keep Gareth Bale. Play him and Son either side of Kane, Deli Ali back in as a 10, and and Dombele and um, Heusberg as a midfield too. That's a 2-3-1 you can go with. You just need to sort out your back line. For Arsenal, it could be an option. If they're not going to keep Odegaard, and it doesn't look like they will, they want to, but it looks like Real won't allow it, Matthias Pereira would be a great option. Be a great pickup there. Super talented player. Far too good for the championship. Um, Big Sam relegated for the first time. West Brom relegated for, it seems like, the 40th time. They've given themselves... They've given a good account of themselves in recent weeks. That's what can be said for West Brom. While the football hasn't always been great under Sam... Eventually, the results did pick up. 
and they became more difficult to beat. They won some games. Defensively, they got somewhat better, as you do in Big Sam football. It, you know, when you play in deep banks, you're, you're going to get better defensively. But the decisions they made last summer and in January is what cost them. Decision not to address the defence is what cost them. Look how many goals they conceded this season. 68 goals in 35 games. Almost two a game. You can't stay in the Premier League when you're doing that. You just can't. Um, they have Liverpool next, then West Ham, then Leeds. They were going to go down eventually. It's, it was just a matter of when. They're, they're going to lose at least one of those last three games. But hopefully they can keep some of this team together. Now, they're going to lose Maitland-Niles, uh, Yukoslu, uh, Dianya, and Conor Gallagher. In all likelihood, they'll lose those four. They'll probably lose Pereira. I don't understand why Big Sam refuses to play certain players. Like, I don't understand what it is that Carolyn Grant has done wrong. He rarely gets on the pitch. Grady Diangana should be starting, but doesn't. Um, so I, I'd like to see a different manager there. I'd like to see somebody else come in and use players like Grant and, and Diangana and some of the other young players that have come through that academy. There's talent there. They'll need some investment, of course, but if they sell Pereira, that, that'll cover three or four good championship players. So maybe selling him is, is how they rebuild, but uh, I think a new manager is probably what's called for. Uh, for Arsenal, they're obviously... I mean, they've had a disappointing season. They're ninth in the league, three points behind Everton. Everton have a game in hand on them. They're only two points clear of, of Leeds. They've got Chelsea away next. That's a difficult game. Then they go to Palace, and then it's Arsenal at home. Oh, sorry, it's Brighton at home on the final day. It's not an easy run, and it's not straightforward. They've got nothing to play for, though. Like They're just waiting for the season to end. They're another club who needs to change manager. I mean, he's just he's so out of his depth. He's so out of his depth. It's not even funny anymore. Like he he is literally relying on the talent of his players to win them games. It's 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 go out and run around, lads, type of football. So, um, yeah, I, I think I, I think he, he's got to go. But Arsenal just want the season to end, and uh, they need it to end quickly. Uh, that's the nine games then. So we will wrap up with some gossip and get out of here for today. Uh, Paris Saint Germain will look to sign Liverpool's Egyptian forward. Mo Salah, if the 22, if their 22-year-old France striker, Kylian Mbappe, does not renew his contract, they can look all they want. I don't think Liverpool are going to be very willing to sell him, and if they are, it's going to cost an incredible amount of money. Uh, Tottenham striker and England captain Harry Kane is willing to join Barcelona, but the new camp club would prefer to sign Erling Haaland. Uh, this is from Sport. Um, this is. This is Barcelona posturing and saying we could sign anyone we want. Harry Kane would be willing to come here. Nonsense. Uh, Julian Draxler has agreed a one-year extension with the French club with his contract due to expire this, this summer. Further evidence that Julian Draxler doesn't really care about his career. Uh, Yves Basima has asked that he be allowed to leave the club this summer. Manchester City, Liverpool, Arsenal and Marseille are all interested. Marseille 
get out of there. You don't have the money. You don't have the money to buy him. You don't have the money to buy anybody. You have the money to sell players. That's it. Um, Basuma's a good player. I think Arsenal's the place to go from if he wants to start every game. Uh, Wolves manager Nuno Espirito Santos has um, is being lined up for a move away from Molyneux by his agent, Jorge Mendes, with Aston Villa emerging as a potential destination. I don't think Villa are changing manager. I think I think Wolves could maybe consider moving on from Nuno. I would bet he's there next season, though. Um, Maurizio Sarri could be interested in the Tottenham job. The Italian has also been touted as an option for Arsenal, should they sack Mikel Arteta. Um, I think Tottenham would be a good fit for him. I think it would be a very interesting situation. Uh, apparently, Edinson Cavani has signed a new contract with Manchester United, agreeing to stay beyond this season. That's from the spoofer with the catchphrase. Um, Crystal Palace boss Roy Hodgson is cal- confident that the club can hold on to Eberichi Eze for next season, despite his growing reputation. He he's a super talented player, super talented. I I hope he's I hope he stays there. I'd like to see him there one more year, but he'll be on the radar for a lot of clubs. Manchester United are lining up an £80 million bid for Jadon Sancho. Uh, allegedly, they've been doing this for 15 months. I'm, I'm putting absolutely no stock in that, especially considering it comes from the star. The German FA will need to act quickly to recruit outgoing Bayern Munich boss Hansi Flick, says the club's chief executive, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge. I would imagine they've already done that, Mr. Rummenigge. I would imagine that's why he quit at your club. Juventus boss Andrea Pirlo says he has no plans to resign despite last season's Italian champions looking in danger of missing out on Champions League qualification. Juve are now fifth in Syria after a 3-0 defeat by AC Milan. Yeah, and they, by all accounts, were dreadful. Um, Pirlo's looked out of his depth all season. Like Arteta, the job is just far too big for him. I think if Juve miss out, that will be catastrophic for them. But it may not be the worst thing in the long run because it might force them to move on from him, move on from Paratici and move on from Cristiano Ronaldo and get back to what Juve were great at, which is buying players, developing them, selling them and maintaining a very high standard in their own team. Um, I will say, obviously Inter have run away with the league in Syria. It's great to see a new team winning after nine years of dominance. PSG dropping points while Lille win. Lille now have a four-point cushion in... Is it four points? No, it's three points, isn't it? It's a three-point cushion in France. Uh, Yeah, three-point cushion. And Lille have a favourable run-in. Lille have Saint-Etienne and Angers next. They're both mid-table. Lille should be strong favourites to win both of those games and win the French title, which would just be brilliant. It would be absolutely brilliant, because again, bar that incredible Monaco team, PSG have been dominant in that league for a decade. Um, In Portugal, Sporting Lisbon, if they beat um, Boa Vista on Tuesday, should confirm themselves as champions with their superior goal difference over Porto and Benfica, who spent a bunch of money in the summer 
by bringing in all the old players. So, um, really exciting stuff going on around Europe. The the La Liga title race is going to go down to the last couple of games as well. Atletico and Barca drew at the weekend. Sevilla and Real drew. So, all Atleti needs to do is win out. Just win out and you will be champions. Um, Leon could make a move for Atletico Madrid defender, Renan Lodi. He's a very good left-back. He's fallen out of favour a little bit this season. But I think I think he'd be a good signing for, for Leon. I think Atleti will keep him, though. Uh, Bruges boss Philippe Clement says 21-year-old Dutch winger Noah Lang, who is wanted by Leeds, has told the club he will not decide his future until the season is over. I believe Philippe Clement is leaving as well. He's been linked with Sheffield United. Uh, Leicester are facing a lot of competition for Bubakari, Samari with Everton, Wolves, Aston Villa and others all interested in the 22-year-old who's a long-term target for AC Milan. He's going to be a great signing for whoever gets him. Or whoever gets him. He has not agreed terms since February. That is just something that was made up by a spoofer with a catchphrase. Nonsense. There's no chance he has agreed terms since February. Just absolute rubbish. A spoofer who's taken someone else's story and then attempted to add little details to make it seem like he's clued in. Rubbish. He may well end up at Leicester. He absolutely did not agree terms in February. Um, Stuttgart are in talks with Arsenal about a new loan deal for Konstantinos Mavropanos. I don't know why he's not in the Arsenal squad. I really don't know why he's not in the Arsenal squad. Uh, Inter Milan will listen to offers for Arturo Vidal in an effort to cut their wage bill. Uh, and while Marseille have been linked, there's been no concrete approach. Um, Arturo Vidal was obviously a great player. But at this point, he's he's a bit of a liability in, in some games, is, is how I'll put it politely. Um, he has played. He has played well at times this season. He has played an important role in how Inter have gone about their season and winning the title. I don't see them getting a penny for him. He signed a two-year contract with an option for a third year. I assume it's a club option, not a player option. I don't see anybody wanting to buy him. And I would imagine he is on ridiculous wages. So it's going to be hard for them to find anyone to take him. I think they're going to be stuck with him. And look, he'll he'll have value in the Champions League next season because of his experience. This is a guy who's been... He's only been at great clubs for a long time now. Um, joined Juventus in 2011. Was there for four years, went to Bayern, was there for three years, went to Barca, was there for two years, and now Inter. So he knows what, it's, what it is to be at a top club. He knows what it is to win titles. Um, he can be a valuable player to have around. I think, I think they're going to be stuck with him, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing for them. I understand they want to cut their wage bill, but when you've got a guy who won three league titles in in Chile, four titles with Juve, three with Bayern, one with Barca, and now one with you. That's just a guy who knows how to win. 
you know, you don't you don't win twelve league titles without having something about you. Uh, he obviously won a Copa America twice with with Chile, so he's just a guy that knows how to win things. He's won a bunch of cups as well. You're stuck with him. It's not a bad thing. You've got other players you can move on. You, you you've got other players you can move on. Like the likes of like. Let's just have a quick look at the Inter Milan squad. But the likes of Ashley Young, you could move on from Ashley Young. You no longer need to have Ashley Young at your team. Um, I mean, Gagliardino, Gagliardini, potentially you could move on. Alexis Sanchez, I mean, why do you have him? Um, Vicini, Vicino's okay. Kolarov, really? Really? Um, Ranocchia, move him on. Like I said, Ashley Young, Matteo Darmian, you could move on. Yeah, move all of them on before Vidal. There's also the fact that you own... How many players do they own? They've got 29 players out on loan. Nobody needs to own that many players. You can be guaranteed they're paying the wages for a number of those players. Just sell these players that are never, ever, ever, ever going to play for your club. Italian clubs always do this. They moan about their enormous wage bills, and yet they own 53 players. Like, Jay Mario, you've owned him for years. You're paying half his wages. He's at Sporting. Rajan Anglin, you're paying half his wages at Calgary. Just get rid of them. Find agreements to get get them out the door. Sell them for whatever you can. Stop paying everybody's wages. Um, that's it. That's the last bit. Sorry, I got a bit wrapped up. Uh, we leave it at that. Um, yeah, that's it. That's the show. Hope you all all had a good weekend, and I uh, hope you all have a good week ahead. Thanks to Guy. Thanks to Fox Hunt. Thanks to you. See you tomorrow. Bye bye. Podcast Network.